Good morning. Happy Lord's Day. I'm home, and it feels good to be home. Warmer weather, except for today, for whatever reason, and uh, it is a joy to be with all of you, to see familiar faces, to see God's work in this church and in all of your lives. It is such a joy for me to be with you guys this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, it's going to be on page 859. Um, I was asked to preach a topical sermon on prayer. A topical sermon is different than most of the sermons that you hear every Sunday. The type of preaching that we try to do at this church is to take a particular text, find the main point and the goal of that passage, and then preach it. Um, A topical message tries to take a particular idea that is scriptural and Christian and then use variety of, of text to get its point across. And I really dislike doing the latter. Uh, I feel like it's the difference between making a Lego set and being given a Lego box. And I'm just not the kind of guy that builds stuff out of Lego boxes. So I don't know what I'm going to make this morning. Uh, but I pray that it's encouraging to you. Um, so again, I'll be preaching from Matthew chapter 6 and from other passages throughout the Bible on the topic of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 15. Jesus is teaching, and he says this, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Let's pray. God, even though we're capable of reading these words, without your Spirit's help, they fall upon deaf ears. Our hearts would be hardened, our spirit failing. And God, we acknowledge that our flesh is weak. So we need your help to enable us to learn, to benefit, to treasure your word. So we ask for your help this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Most of us are bad prayers. Most of us are bad prayers. In fact, I wonder if you pray. I'm not just talking about you blessing your happy meal. I wonder if you actually pray. If you go into your private room, as Jesus describes here, to take time to pray. I wonder for most of us, if we were to compare our social media feeds with a spiritual feed of the time that we spend with our Lord, whether or not we'd notice a significant disparity. And yet, isn't praying very simple? Prayer should be natural to us, shouldn't it? Calvin, in his Institutes, states that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. The chief exercise. The most obvious evidence of our faith is in our prayers. Prayer is the primary expression of our faith. And I wonder how many of us are functional atheists when it comes to our spiritual lives. Even though we have full access to God, we forsake it. For sake of vague entertainments or for the sake of our busy schedules. So consider this morning a workshop on prayer. So we're going to go over what prayer is, why you should pray, and how you should pray. Again, I'm going to go over what is prayer, why pray, and how should you pray. If, if prayer is a chief exercise of faith. Let's go ahead and take a peek under the hood of what might initially seem obvious and see what scripture teaches us in terms of what we ought to do in our prayer. Point number one, what is prayer? What is prayer? I have three things here in terms of what prayer is not. What prayer is not. Firstly, prayer is not just something to do. Just something to do, as though you just go around and you just pray because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You're fulfilling your kind of spiritual checkbox. That's not what it is on its own. Turn a few pages over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 on page 870, verse 8, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and he cites Isaiah, who prophesied this, these People honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So prayer isn't just something that you do. It isn't just something that you say. It isn't just cerebral. It's not just in your brain. It's actually something that you do with your soul. Jesus distinguishes between your lips and your heart. You can be saying lots of ornate, elaborate, beautiful things with your lips. And if your heart is far from the words that you say, then you are a hypocrite. And when I think of hypocrisy, at least in the last few months, I think of The Godfather, because I watched part two live in the theaters a few months ago for the first time. And in both movies, the movie will intercut between Michael walking into the church and seeing one of his children or relatives be baptized, intercut with scenes of his henchmen, in the mafia going out and carrying out evil, dastardly plans. As he hails Mary, he kills his family. I wonder if that's the way that you pray. 
that as your lips pour forth holy words, your heart has heinous thoughts and heinous intentions. Michael earned no holy points in heaven for his prayers. This prayer is not just something to do. Number two, prayer is not rubbing the Jesus genie lamp. It's not rubbing the Jesus genie lamp. Some of us like to think of our prayers as a means to an end. So I want an Xbox or a Game Boy Advance was my prayer as a child. So I pray very hard that God would please give me a Game Boy Advance SP. And I pray and I pray and I expect God to deliver on my prayer. Because after all, isn't he an all-powerful, all-good deity? And I know that a Game Boy Advance is good. So you pray. And you ask God and you expect him to deliver on your promises, no matter what. A blank check for results. But sometimes God answers your prayer with no. Sometimes God answers your prayer with no. Think of Paul in 2 Corinthians. He describes receiving a thorn in his flesh that leaves him in anguish, and he pleads with God three times that God would take this thorn away. And God's reply is no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Pay careful attention and beware of anyone who tries to offer you a prayer that, quote, God always answers and then encourages you to, quote, ask God for the world. If you go to God looking for a blank check, that God isn't Jesus. So number two, Jesus' prayer isn't rubbing the Jesus genie lamp. Number three, Jesus, prayer isn't babbling, isn't babbling. If you look at chapter 6, at what we just read in verse 7, Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. There are some who are skilled at saying a lot in very little. They'll drop that one pithy phrase that just kind of rings in your mind for the next few weeks. There are others, however, that are really good at saying very little in a lot. And Jesus is saying here not to do that. Don't say a little with a lot. These Gentiles are imagining that they're going to be able to schmooze God with the way that they pray. I banked in 30 hours of prayer the other day. God will most definitely hear me. Why doesn't that work? Because of verse 8. Don't be like them because... Your father knows the things you need before you ask him. See, when Christians go to God for prayer, we're not trying to change the heart of deity in order to help us. God is already disposed to pour out his blessings upon us. And so you don't need to say more than you need to because God is already ready to help you. So what is prayer then? What is prayer? Prayer, at its simplest, is talking to God. It's talking to God. And it's interesting in the Bible that there isn't a single verse that just defines prayer. There's a lot of verses on how you ought to pray. There are a lot of examples of people praying. There isn't an explicit 
definition in the Bible for what prayer is. It's quite simple because prayer is just talking with God. It's that natural communication that you have with someone that you have a relationship with. So that's point number one. What is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God. But why should you pray? Why should you pray? I have three reasons why you should pray. Reason number one, because you need prayer. Because you need it. You need prayer. I have a really biting quote here from Martin Luther. So let me read it to you. He says this, We must be careful not to break the habit of true prayer Imagine and imagine other works to be necessary, which, after all, are nothing of the kind. Thus, at the end, we become lax and lazy, cool and listless toward prayer. The devil who besets us is not lazy or careless, and our flesh is too ready and eager to sin and is disinclined to the spirit of prayer. See, the reason why we pray is because we need prayer. And one of the best tools that Satan can use to let you lower your guard down is to convince you that prayer is something that you don't need. So let me ask you, are you lazy toward prayer? Usually it's because we don't realize that we need it. It's really easy to kill a soldier when he's asleep in bed. That's reason number one, you need prayer. Reason number two, because God answers prayer. Because God answers prayer. In chapter 6, verse 6, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that God hears you and that he will reward you. That's a guarantee that God actually hears your prayers, that they're actually effective. But that doesn't mean that the reward is what you always want. But hear me very carefully. When you ask God for something, he will always give you what's best for you. When you ask God for something, he will always give you what's best for you. 1 John 5.14 says this, that this is the confidence that we have before him. We ask Anything according to his will, he hears us. And when we ask according to his will, God will always do what's best for you. Doesn't mean that's always what you want. Doesn't mean that we'll always understand how those dots connect between our trials and our hardships and our desires to remove our thorns from God's goodness. But we know that since God is a loving father, that we can trust him, that he will hear us, and he will always do right by us. Third reason why we should pray. Because God helps you to pray. So this kind of gets into a question that a lot of people have about prayer, which is, if God is in complete control, right? If God rules the universe, is in complete control of everything, then why should we ask God for anything? Doesn't he already know what he's doing? 
right? And is it, if God's going to do the best thing anyway, why would I waste my time on my knees in prayer and, and just kind of look up to God and give him a little thumbs up and know that he's going to do the right thing? Well, the reason is because if God actually is doing a work in you, then you're going to pray. It's one of the evidences of the Christian life that you pray. Why? Because that God that you claim to be in control of everything is the very being that enables you by his spirit to pray. He gives you that kind of supernatural power. You can see that in Romans chapter 8. Turn with me. Romans chapter 8. Page 1002 and 1003. I'm not sure which verse yet. Verse 15. Page 1003. Chapter 8, verse 15. Paul writes this. He says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So it's through this spirit of adoption that we're able to cry out to God. And who gave us this spirit? God did, right? So God gives us the spirit, and the spirit is the means by which we're able to pray to the Father. And the spirit adopted us as sons, which is how we're able to cry out to God in the first place at a deep personal level. Now, do you think that if God would do such a great thing for you and give you such a rich inheritance and not expect you to speak to him? Of course not. He empowers you in his kindness. He enables you and he transforms you to be someone who prays. Paul goes on in chapter 8, verse 26. Read with me. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit not only enables us to pray, gives us a source of the power for our prayers, he actually prays for you. The third person of the Trinity, God himself, praying for you. And if the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, you can imagine that the prayers of the third person of the Trinity is even more powerful and effective. And it says that he intercedes for you with unspoken groanings. And he prays according to the will of God. Which means that you don't need to feel like you need to coerce the deity into helping you. God is willing and able to help you. So he empowers you to pray. God is the means by which you pray. And God's the one to whom you pray. And all of that is God's kind gift to us through Christ. So that's why you should pray. But how do you pray? How do you pray? It seems deceptive enough and easy enough to just pray to God and just to talk to him, but how should you pray? 
It's easy to open your mouth and talk to God. It's also very easy to pray wrongly. And so I have a bunch of different widths here in terms of just different aspects or descriptions or things to avoid while you pray. So how should you pray? You should pray with integrity. Pray with integrity. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Why does Jesus say go into your private room? Because it specifies who you're praying to. These hypocrites aren't necessarily praying to God. As much as they're trying to get other people to see what they're doing. So who is their mind set on? Not God. Other people on the street. And God is saying, when you go into your private room. When you close the door and you pray to your father in private. You pray with integrity. And that Father, God the Father, is able to hear you. And he will reward you. Oftentimes we try to pray to God plus something else. So you try to pray to God plus gain other people's respect. Or maybe even out of insecurity, you try to pray to God and you might word things differently in public than you would in private because you don't want to embarrass yourself. All of that is divided attention. And Jesus is saying to pray with integrity, with your whole being to God. Secondly, pray with adoration. Pray with adoration. You could see that in the Lord's Prayer following Jesus' instructions regarding integrity in verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We worship God in our prayers. This is why we have a prayer of praise in the morning. Because our prayers should acknowledge God for who he is. Know who you're talking to. This is God who resides in heaven and he's holy. His kingdom and his will ought to be done. So, By starting out with a meditation on who God is and his will and his purposes changes our perspective and acknowledges God's holiness. That God isn't Santa Claus. That we're not just going to God for stuff, but that we're going before the king. And we're going before our father. That God is not us. He's greater than us. And notice that Jesus prays, our Father. Prays, our Father. While we adore God, is it merely that God is great above the heavens? So far away that he's estranged from his children. No, he's our Father. Jesus doesn't say, my Father. He says, our Father. When you pray, when you trust in Christ, you join the family of God. 
Romans 8 says that the Spirit adopted us into that family. So there's two aspects that go on with our adoration. First aspect is God's royalty in his reign, in his power, ruling over us. And secondly, is God's fatherly love for us. So we approach God both as king and as father. What an amazing gift for us as Christians. That we can go to the king of kings and call him Abba, Father. So you go to God with adoration. You also go to God with confession. Skip down to verse 12. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We go to God because he's capable of helping us. We are desperate sinners. It says here that God is willing to forgive us. This is the prayer that we're expected to pray. It's according to the will of God because God the Son incarnate is the one teaching us to pray this. That means that God will hear that prayer. When you ask God to forgive your debts, he will. 1 John 1, nine says that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're able to be honest with him. We don't have to feign that we're completely clean and perfect individuals. In fact, the Christian life depends on your admitting that you're not a consistent Christian. So the only kind of consistent Christian life that you can live is one of consistent repentance and confessing to God. And God hears you. And that forgiveness that we receive from God, according to this verse, overflows in our forgiveness to other people. Because... We don't need to seek vengeance because there was someone else who had aff- that we had offended much greater than anyone who had offended us. Because we have received mercy from him, that mercy then overflows out of our hearts towards those around us. So we confess our sins to him. It takes a degree of humility to pray that kind of prayer, doesn't it? It requires you to, to get prostrate in your spirit, to admit that you need help from something outside of you. This is different than just learning atomic habits and trying to become a better person. This is asking God to do something that you can't do yourself. So you pray to God with confession. Thirdly, you pray to God with requests. Pray to God with requests. Verse 11. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. So here you see an example of physical requests. We pray to him about physical needs because we depend on him for our physical needs. God sustains us every single second. It's not like God just had like a domino that he pushed when he said, let there be light. And then everything else just kind of cascades before him. No, he is actively sustaining the universe right this very second. Everything in this world, down to the millisecond, is being orchestrated by his sovereign command. And so when we pray and we ask God for our daily bread, it isn't just some menial thing. We aren't asking for something superficial. What we're actually doing is we're acknowledging the truth, which is that we depend on God for everything. We depend on God for everything, for all of our needs. 
from the saving of our souls to the cereal that we eat for breakfast. We need God. So that's physical needs. You also see the example of spiritual needs in verse 13. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus instructs us to pray for spiritual needs. Right? God doesn't expect you to fix your own life before you come to him. He asks you to pray to him in the midst of your temptation. That God would empower you to, to be delivered from that kind of evil. And so we go to him with both physical and spiritual requests. So God doesn't just give you bread so that you can continue living your life. If you're suddenly in need, you pray to him and he swoops down as Superman. And you also don't pray to God only for spiritual requests, right? As though he doesn't care about the everyday aspects of your life. Jesus is instructing us here to pray to God and treat to him for help regarding everything in our lives. To have a full orb dependence on God who's capable of providing for you. Fourthly, you pray with help. You pray with help. Have you ever tried to pray? You sat down and you told yourself that you were going to pray and within 30 seconds you ran out of things to pray for. So you think, okay, maybe I'll just circle back to the thing I prayed for when I started and then two minutes go by and it felt like two hours. We need help to pray. And in fact, God helps us and gives us tools to pray. So first thing, so I'm just going to rattle off a few different things that can help you pray in your prayer life. You're not meant to just come up with words out of the ether. God actually helps us with tools to pray. The first obvious help is the Bible. Is the Bible. Pray through the word of God. You can actually pray through a variety of passages of scripture to help you pray. Martin Luther actually instructed his people to pray through the Ten Commandments, to pray through the Confession of Faith, and then to pray through the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because the Ten Commandments exposes your sin and your failure before God's law. The Confession of Faith shows you the truth of the Gospel and the riches of the grace of Christ. And the Lord's Prayer teaches you to pray for strength as you live out that Christian life. Right? So you have sin, Christ, faith. There are other things that you could pray through. You could pray through the Psalms. 150 prayers from God to God, written for our help. You can see examples of adoration, thanksgiving, confession, request, and lament all throughout the Psalms. And you might be surprised by the kinds of words that are written in those kinds of prayers. Oftentimes when we go before God, we feel like we need to be triumphalistic, as though we have things together. Or if you were to bring up sad things that immediately you're supposed to run to Christ. But when you look at prayers like Psalm 77, you see a different tenor that might surprise you. Have you abandoned your faithful love? Will you spurn us forever? 
has God forgotten to be gracious? That comes from a deep sadness in the soul. And God actually teaches us to express those kinds of prayers to God. So Psalms give us tons of examples and guides for us to cry out to God to the deepness of our soul. Here are other documents that can help you pray. This is my membership directory for Capitol Hill. I'm not trying to flex on how big this thing is. There's like 970 names in addition to other things. Um, There are at least a thousand names in here, which means I have about a thousand things that I'm supposed to pray through. So you feel intimidated by having to pray for your members with this. I look at this and I don't know where to start. So they have it divided into days of the month, right? That I'm supposed to pray through two pages every month. I'm not saying that I do this perfectly, but these are souls that God has put under your care. Everyone in your membership directory is someone that you are responsible for before God, that you're taking ownership for their discipleship. So pray for them. Pray for these people. One of the greatest ministries that you can have as a Christian is praying for other Christians. Is praying for other Christians. Here's another document that can help you pray. You can pray through your church covenant. It's, in, uh, it's inside your Bibles and inside your Baptist hymnals and the seats in front of you. A great description of the basics of the Christian life. So if you don't know what to pray for people, you could pray for that. You can also pray through your confession of faith. You can praise God for attributes of who he is. You can confess sin in light of who you are. And the, and the confession of faith that you have as a church is a great summation of what the Bible teaches as truth. And lastly, there are a whole host of other examples all throughout Scripture of different things that you can pray for each other about. Now, this membership directory has people's names, And then at the end of the membership list, there's the church covenant. After that, there's the confession of faith. And at the back, there's a bunch of different prayer requests throughout the Bible that you could be praying. This is an excellent prayer guide. Use it. Use it. Um, You need to ask Barbara or PJ to print this out for you. So bug them. That is a great, holy, good nuisance to them. To have them print this out for you. So pray through your membership directory. You can also be helped by the example of other brothers and other Christians in your life. A great example would be books like The Valley of Vision, collections of Puritan prayers on a whole host of variety of topics. We're not the first people to come to Christ and talk to him, right? So it's great to be helped by other Christians that have faithfully written down their prayers. We can also be helped by examples of other brothers that have excellent prayer lives as models for us. I'm reading through an autobiography of John G. Payton, who was a frontier missionary to the Vanatu people. And he writes in his autobiography that the biggest impetus, the biggest reason why he decided that he would go and preach the gospel to the unreached people was his father's prayers. Was his father's prayers. Let me read these words that he writes about his father here. 
how much my father's prayers at this time impressed me. I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees, all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of a living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. And as we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light on my father's face and wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to his prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. Wow. (laughs) He describes that as he gets sent off for training in order to go to the missions field back in the day because they didn't have email, they didn't have Facebook, and they didn't have airplanes. Him and his father walked down the road for the last time that they would see each other in their lives. His father, speechless, silently, as tears are flowing down his cheeks, praying for his son as he sends him off to do gospel work. Fantastic examples of faithfulness. Think of George Mueller, right? Uh, Building an orphanage, caring for people on the basis of prayer, finding all of his provision and needs in God's ability to provide for him. And we can think of different examples in our lives, can't we? Don't we all have different soldiers and bastions of the faith that have proven to be better prayers than we are? One of my favorite examples in my own life is Susan Cool. She was a member here for a few years. She emails me every few days and tells me that she's praying for me. I mean, you just can't purchase that kind of kindness from God. So you look at examples like that and you receive help, guidelines, little guide rails to help you in your prayer. And the last with that I have here is with the church. With the church. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, to prayer. This is why we gather every Sunday morning, to worship God together. And one of the ways that you worship God is in prayer. See, everything that we do this Sunday morning is worship. You sitting here and listening to me babble is worship. You singing songs is worship, and you praying to God is also worship. Worship. So we worship God in prayer. This is also why we have Sunday evening service, to pray to God. Because one of the most important things that we can do, one of the most important things that you can do as a church, is to gather with the saints to pray. And we can't quantify by any worldly means the effectiveness of our prayers. But God, our Father in heaven, hears us. And he values that. And he utilizes it for his kingdom. So you go this evening at 5 p.m. and you launch arrows into the kingdom of darkness with your prayers. So what is prayer? Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. But let's take one step beneath that and look at the example of Jesus. Prayer 
is a chief exercise of faith, and for Jesus, it was a chief expression of his dependence on the Father. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 19. John chapter 5, verse 19. That's on page 946. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. If you read through the Gospels, I, I think a great thing for us to do for our own spiritual lives is to read through the Gospels and take note of every single time that Jesus removes himself from ministry in order to pray. I was preaching on a college retreat this last week. We're walking through Matthew chapters 14 to 16. And Jesus, after feeding 5,000 people, he dismisses them so he can go to the mountain by himself to pray. Jesus knows exactly what needs to be done. He knows the weight of ministry. He has compassion on crowds. He knows that he's capable of helping other people. And yet, he prioritizes his time with the Father. So how does Jesus demonstrate this perfect dependence that he has as the son to his father? He prays. And when we follow Jesus in praying to the father, not only are we going before God, we are joining this intimate relationship that Christ the son has with his dad. And we do that through Jesus. So why do we pray? Because Jesus prayed. How do we pray? The way that Jesus prayed. Jesus prioritized prayer. He does it perfectly. And right now, Christ sitting at the right hand of God intercedes for us on our behalf. And so think about this for a moment. If we have access to God through the Son, and the Son sends us the Spirit, Right? The Father sends us the Spirit through the Son and He adopts us as sons and daughters and He enables us through the Spirit's power to be able to pray for Him. Then we are praying by the Spirit through the Son to the Father. Which means every single time that you pray, you are joining the communion of the Trinity. You can't speak to someone that you have no contact with. So one of the greatest gifts that we have in the gospel is to pray to God. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you lack this kind of relationship. God won't hear your prayers because you're not in relationship with him. And in fact, all of us were estranged from our father. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he cast them out of the Garden of Eden, divorcing that relationship between the Father and us, who are meant to be children of God. So God, in his kindness, didn't leave us in our sin to be condemned forever. He sent his Son, perfectly holy, perfectly just, who lived the perfect life that we can never live. And when he hung on the cross, 
God poured out the full penalty of his wrath. And Jesus experienced that kind of separation from the Father in his humanity. Experiencing that wrath. And even though he was with the Father as God the Son, he cries out in expression, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by bearing that penalty and rising from the dead, he redeems sons and daughters to not be forsaken, but to be loved and accepted by the loving arms of God the Father. What a gift. If you're not a Christian, repent. Trust in Christ. And you can experience this kind of restored relationship to God through prayer. So the Spirit empowers us to pray. The Son mediates for us access to the Father, and the Father eagerly listens to his children. The Godhead invites us into communion with him in prayer. I'll close with these words by David McIntyre. The soil in which the prayer of faith takes root is a life of unbroken communion with God. A life in which the windows of the soul are always open towards the city of rest. We do not know the true potency of prayer until our hearts are so steadfastly inclined to God that our thoughts turn to him as by divine instinct wherever they are set free from the consideration of earthly things. I encourage you all to set your minds free of earthly things and go before your Father in heaven who hears you. Let's go before him now in prayer. God, what a gift to even be able to speak to you. That you who reigns in the heavens above would bend down to hear our prayers. We thank you for such a great gift. And we pray, God, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that you would provide for all of our needs, for all of us here in this gathering, that you would tend to our physical needs, our spiritual needs, that you continue to give us grace to fight temptation. And we thank you for the grace that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.